There is a misnomer that pitching is just about getting an agent or editor interested in your traditionally published book. The pitch for the agent is just the tryout, and the reason agents care about a book's pitch is because readers care about a book's pitch. Whether you write fiction or nonfiction, if you want readers to buy your book, it needs a strong sales pitch. This is also true if you're independently published. Your book needs a strong sales pitch. Your book's pitch is the spring from which the river of back cover copy, ad copy, and even your Amazon description will flow. If you do a good job, you will even hear your pitch in the mouths of readers recommending your book to their friends. A good pitch is so important to the success of the book that I recommend that you write it before you write the book. If you want your book to sell like crazy, write an incredible pitch and then write a book to deliver on the pitch's amazing promises. This is how Hollywood movies are made. Each screenplay starts out as a pitch. Screenwriters call this writing the poster first. Writing the pitch first also makes it easier to get feedback on your idea before you invest hundreds of hours writing in the wrong direction. Once a year, I do a special online session for the Realmakers Conference where I critique pitches of authors who are planning to go to the conference. They are able to test their pitches out on me before they test them on agents and editors. And while many of the pitches are great, some fall flat. And they tend to fall flat because the authors are making one of 10 critical mistakes. So what are those mistakes that can doom a book to obscurity and neglect? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. And this episode is a sequel of sorts to an earlier episode called How to Pitch Your Novel. And while this episode will focus on fiction, I will have a few points for nonfiction authors on how they can hone their pitches as well. So let's get started. Mistake number one is that the pitch is too wordy. You only have one paragraph on the back cover of your book to hook someone's attention. When talking to someone in person, you may have only 30 seconds to get them interested. And on Amazon, you have about 400 characters and one paragraph break before Amazon slaps a read more over the rest of your description. 400 characters may sound like a lot, but it's only about 70 words. That's four or five sentences. You need to pitch your 70,000 word novel in just 70 words. So make every word count. It's not just that readers are less likely to finish reading a long pitch. It's that even if they do read the whole pitch, the longer the pitch, the less effective it tends to be. The more you're talking, the less you're selling. Amazon is actually doing you a favor by only showing readers the first 400 characters. If they could see in their data that showing more characters sold more books, they would show a longer description, <laughs> but they do the tests. They will split test every element of a sales page and they know exactly what works. And they have seen in their data that if they show more than about 400 characters, it reduces sales. So you've got to get that first part of the pitch really strong. So how do you fix a wordy pitch? Well, when I go through someone's pitch, I tend to cut about 50% of the words. This is without removing much in the way of content. 
What seems necessary to the author and what is actually necessary to sell a book are often very different. <laughs> so how do you identify what's necessary? Well, part of this comes down to simple wordsmithing. Active voice has fewer words than passive voice. The ball was hit by John has 50% more words than John hit the ball. So that's pretty obvious, but you may be surprised. A lot of pitches have passive voice. A lot of back cover copy has passive voice, especially when it's written by the author. You also want to remove superlatives. Words like amazing, brilliant, and groundbreaking need to be in the endorsements for the book, not in the pitch. So if you have some fellow authors who've already agreed to endorse your book, perhaps you can work those words into those endorsements, but don't put them in your pitch. And then now that you've removed the passive voice, you've removed the superlatives, it's time to go for the adjectives, adverbs, and pronouns. <laughs> you want to use simple, right-branching sentences. That's subject, verb, object. This sentence construction is the most persuasive sentence construction. It also tends to be the least wordy. Cutting these modifiers also has the added benefit of forcing you to use stronger verbs and more accurate nouns. Instead of picking the wrong word and then modifying it to be better, just pick the right word in the first place and you have far fewer words. This is actually, by the way, good writing in general, but uh, it's uh, particularly important for your pitch because the number of characters is so limited. So here's an example. I grabbed a book kind of at random. It's a book with zero reviews on Amazon as of this recording. It's Arish Gagal's Vengeance. So here's the original version of the pitch, at least the first couple sentences. Sarah and Ralph are a happy couple in Boston. Sarah tries to get pregnant, but doesn't succeed right away. After a hormone cure and a miscarriage, Sarah turns out to have become infertile. She's not alone. So that's the original. Now let's rework it. See if we can get all of that idea in fewer words. So here's my quick rework. Sarah and Ralph are a happy couple trying to get pregnant. After treatment, Sarah becomes infertile. She's not alone. We have now half the words. And what's nice about cutting these unnecessary words is that we now have an entire sentence worth of more room to give more information about the book. And this is helpful because this isn't really enough to hook the attention. We've described the problem, the challenge that the protagonists are facing, but we haven't hinted at what they're going to do to fix it or really what's going on. Because actually this book is about a pandemic and trying to find a cure for a pandemic. We haven't gotten to that at all. <laughs> so we need to cut those extra words from that initial pitch so that we can get to the more interesting bits. Mistake number two is related. It's too many plot lines. Good books have multiple plot lines, and those plot lines that interweave in fascinating ways, and skilled authors can weave a lot of plot lines into a beautiful tapestry. But what works for a story does not work for the pitch. The purpose of a pitch is not to summarize the book. The purpose of a pitch is not even to describe the book. <laughs> the purpose of a pitch is to sell the book. It's a sales pitch and you're selling the book to someone who doesn't know anything about the book. So the pitch needs focus. If you want to hook someone's attention, if you want to pique their curiosity, you need focus. So what do you do? Pick one plot line for the pitch. You're not describing the book, you're just pitching the book. Keep it focused. Focus on one, perhaps the most important or the most interesting plot line of your book and let all the other plot lines be a wonderful surprise for your reader. 
So here's an example. I've grabbed another book. So here's the first half of the pitch from the book, Cold Train Through Hell. Prodigious software developer Jake Collins lives with an inoperable malignant brain tumor. He spent the last several years building a sophisticated spy program to search for the man who's rumored to have uncovered the cure for the cancer in his head. The enigmatic billionaire Jericho Black, a man so powerful and inaccessible that only a risky theft of epic proportions can grab Jericho's attention. Jake's successful heist of $400 million does get Jericho's attention and the attention of someone else, the Russian mob. Specifically, Alexei Vanesky, an upper-level hitman known for his dark disposition and cruel tendencies. Unaware of the real danger Jake has put himself in, he checks into a posh hotel to celebrate pulling off the heist of the century with some fine dining and a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle's 20. So this is just the first half of the pitch. It keeps going, and we already have two or three plot lines, and none of them are the most interesting element of the book. So the most interesting element of the book is that because he's taken this cure, when the protagonist dies, he comes back to life. But before he comes back to life, he has to fight his way through hell to do so. So that's the most interesting part of the book. But there's too many other plot lines, which I'm sure are interesting in the book, but they are distracting from the core element. So I, I did a quick rework of this. It's not a great pitch, but it's a lot shorter. So here we go. After taking a mysterious cure for cancer, Jake now has the ability to come back to life. The problem is he keeps dying, and when he does, he finds himself in the bowels of hell, on the run from demons set on torturing him for eternity. If he wants to survive, Jake must escape the 18 levels of hell, pacify the mob, and solve the mystery of his cure. So this is still too complex, but it's better, and hopefully it does a better job of peaking interest. And perhaps the second pitch made you a little more curious to know about the book rather than all of these different details. Speaking of details, that takes us to mistake number three. Too many details. Details in a scene add spice. They help uh, set the scene for the reader, help the reader see what's happening in the theater of their mind. That's all great in a book, but details in a pitch distract. Remember, your goal is not to tell your story. In fact, you don't want to tell your story. You want people to want to read your book, which means you can't tell your story. Your goal is to make someone curious about your story. So a pitch is not a plot summary. The pitch is the first time the reader is meeting you. This is not when you show him your underwear. If he wants the detail, he needs to buy a copy of your book. So how do you fix a pitch with too many details? Well, first, you focus on the number one most interesting thing about your book. This might be the conflict, the protagonist, the world, the antagonist, or something else. And if you're having a hard time identifying what the most interesting element of your book is, because that's hard to do because you know so much about your book, I have an episode to help you. In fact, it's the episode that this is a sequel for. <laughs> and that episode comes with a worksheet that will help you craft multiple pitches for your book. And as you craft pitches that hit different angles of your book, it will hopefully become a lot more clear which is the best, most interesting element for your pitch. I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. It's called How to Pitch Your Novel. But if you go to authormedia.com slash 329, the show notes for this episode, 
I'll have a link right to it. I'll also embed that worksheet if you want to fill it out. It, it's a really helpful worksheet and it will help you look at your book in different ways. And for an example of this, if we go back to that first pitch, Sarah and Ralph are a happy couple in Boston. Sarah tries to get pregnant, but doesn't succeed right away. So we'll stop right there. The fact that Sarah and Ralph live in Boston, probably unnecessary. Their happiness, also probably unnecessary. <laughs> the important element for the pitch is the fact that they're trying to get pregnant. And so we can introduce you to Sarah and Ralph, let them know where they live and all of that. We can put that in the book, but we don't have to put that in the pitch. Now, sometimes where the character lives may be important, right? If a big part of the book is that it's taking place on a beautiful tropical island or something like that, you know, perhaps that's a selling point. But if your book's taking place in New York or Boston or LA or any big city, that doesn't make your book special. <laughs> it doesn't make people want to read your books like, oh, wow, a book about New York. I can't wait to read a book about New York. That's not going to help sell it. Now, if your book is about uh, Spokane, Washington, well, there's not a lot of books that take place in Spokane, Washington. And so at least people in Spokane might find that really interesting. And so if you're doing a big sales push in Spokane for your book that takes place in Spokane, then maybe work it in. But if it's Boston, unnecessary detail. All right, mistake number four is too many characters. This is probably the easiest of the mistakes to fix. And it's like the worst mistake in that it just nukes a pitch and just makes it so convoluted. Your book has a bunch of great characters, and I know they're like your children. You love them all the same, but they're not your children. These are imaginary characters in your book. You don't need them all to be in your pitch. In fact, the more characters you feature in your pitch, the more complicated the pitch becomes. That pitch earlier about the guy dying and going to hell, we didn't need the name of the hacker. We didn't need the name of the assassin in the pitch. That's too complicated. Complicated pitches don't sell books. So how do you fix it? Focus, if you can, on one character and on what challenge that character faces. Often this is your protagonist. You talk about the protagonist and what the protagonist wants. Or you can have two characters if you're talking about the conflict between those two characters. It's almost impossible to craft a good pitch with three named characters. I have seen it done, but usually only with the help of a professional. And even then, often it's not the best way to craft the pitch. And if you've got four named characters in your pitch, it's doomed. It's no good. You've lost people. You're spending too much time introducing too many characters. By the time your 400 characters are up, you haven't hooked to the attention of the reader. And I will say, typically pitches with too many characters have way over 400 characters. The hacker in hell example, you know, that was probably a thousand characters pitch total, maybe 1,500 characters, because I only read the first half. And part of the reason it had, was so long in terms of how many words was because it had too many characters. So just cut the characters. I realize I'm using the word characters here in two different contexts. So there's characters in terms of how many characters a word has, right? So the has three characters. But what I'm talking about here is how many characters a story has. So you have the main character, the romantic interest, the villain, or the protagonist, the antagonist, uh, etc. Keep the number of people in your pitch to a minimum. Hopefully that makes more sense. So here's an example uh, from the upcoming book, Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded by my brother, David Umstadt. This isn't his real pitch, but I think it's a good illustration of what a pitch with too many characters would look like. Christian is a psychopath in power armor. 
To be fair, he didn't know that mercilessly gunning down innocent civilians was bad, but who would? Everyone else was doing it. Now, a pesky shoulder robot named Conscience and a holographic AI named Book warn him to flee to somewhere called the Celestial Station before his home gets aggressively nuked. Along the way, Christian joins up with fellow travelers Zealot, Truth, and Love, all while being chased by Law, a terrifying bounty hunter who Christian can never seem to escape. Even as an allegory, all of those characters are hard to keep track of. <laughs> Plus, we're already over 500 letters in that pitch. So that's no good. So we could shorten it. Christian is a psychopath in power armor. To be fair, he didn't know that gunning down innocent civilians was bad, but who would? Everyone else is doing it. Then a pesky shoulder robot named Conscience wars him to flee to the celestial station before his home gets aggressively nuked. To escape, he must face irradiated swamps of despond, demonic super mutants, and the dreaded platitude platypus. So now we've cut it, but we're still going too far into the story, and we've missed the most important part of the pitch. And this is an important point, and I think it's good to illustrate here. Wordsmithing alone can't fix a bad pitch, and this pitch fundamentally misses the most interesting thing about my brother's book. So what is the most interesting thing about my brother's book? The most interesting thing is that it's a humorous sci-fi retelling of Pilgrim's Progress. That's the core point. So here is the current pitch. Pilgrim's Progress is a classic story of redemption, allegory, and theological poignance that has profoundly impacted millions of readers over three centuries and changed the landscape of English literature forever. It's also a story with a total lack of robots, space marines, or talking platypuses. So we fixed that. You're welcome. <laughs> so here we try to capture the, like, we're honoring Pilgrim's Progress, but also this has got witty sci-fi humor mixed in. And he's actually going to be podcasting this book chapter by chapter. So if any of you want to listen to a dramatic version of this for free, I'll have a link to the Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded podcast in the show notes. Mistake number five is a passive protagonist. I've used this word a few times, and I know most of you are familiar with it, but it's basically a, a fancy word for the character in your book who makes the decisions that move the plot forward. The old word for protagonist was hero. The hero of the story is the one who moves the plot forward. These days, the protagonist can be a villain or an anti-hero, but they have to be active. <laughs> Passive protagonists are boring. Readers will put up with a morally flawed protagonist as long as that protagonist is active. Readers prefer victims who overcome to heroes who succumb. A passive protagonist is someone the story happens to. A story about a princess sitting around waiting to be rescued is boring. A story about an ogre trying to rescue her is interesting. If your story is about an ugly ogre rescuing a princess, focus the pitch on the ogre rather than on the passive princess. So how do you fix a passive protagonist pitch? Well, a passive protagonist is a yellow flag that your book may actually have a passive protagonist. And fixing it in the pitch may not be enough. You may need to rewrite your book to make the protagonist make more decisions to move the plot forward. So put your hero in tough positions and have him make tough decisions to get out of those tough situations. Include or allude to at least one of those tough decisions in your pitch. 
A passive protagonist pitch may not mean that you need a rewrite, though. So don't don't panic. <laughs> Some books have a perfectly active, vibrant protagonist. The pitch just makes them sound passive. Now, this often happens when the pitch focuses on the bad things happening to the protagonist rather than what they're doing to overcome those challenges. So some tips. Write active sentences. Passive voice and passive protagonists often hang out together. They go to the same bars. <laughs> they don't necessarily cause each other, but they are attracted to each other. So writing active sentences can force you to write more active characters, not just more active protagonists, but all of the characters in your book become more active as you write more active sentences. Interesting stories include doers who do deeds that change the world around them. So here's an example. Neo, a famous hacker, is chased and captured by secret agents who tell him not to associate with a mysterious character named Morpheus. Neo is then swept up into a terrorist group bent on destroying everything. So in this pitch, Neo is a person things happen to, and it makes the story sound really dull. It also goes way too far into the plot. So let's have a better pitch. Neo is a hacker who has a deep feeling that something about the world is not right. He seeks out a mysterious figure known only as Trinity who knows the answer to the question that haunts Neo's dreams. What is the Matrix? To find the answer, Neo has to stay alive long enough to see how deep the rabbit hole really goes. So I'm sure you could do a better pitch for the Matrix, but this is my initial effort, and hopefully it gives you an idea of focusing on the choices that Neo is making. He is moving the plot forward. Sure, things are happening to him, but he is choosing to also happen to the plot. Also, notice how the second pitch stays closer to the initial inciting moment. And I get it. The Matrix has three inciting moments, three points of decision, so it's perhaps not the best example to use here. But I'm staying close to that first inciting moment. We don't need to talk about Morpheus. We don't need to introduce Morpheus. Neo doesn't run into Morpheus until fairly long into the story. The meeting with Morpheus is what transfers the story from Act 1 to Act 2. We don't need that. Trinity is enough. The story opens with a big enough bang. There's no need to introduce Morpheus and certainly no need to explain what the Matrix is. That would lead us into our next mistake, which is mistake number six, spoiling the book. <laughs> this shouldn't need to be said, but readers typically read books to find out what's in them. So don't spoil your own book in your own marketing material. It's kind of like my children, they'll be playing and sometimes they'll bonk their own heads. And I'm like, oh, don't bonk your own head. That's silly. And then they laugh sometimes, depending on how hard they bonk their head, right? Like I'm, I try hard enough not to get them to bonk each other's heads when they're playing, but don't bonk your own head. So don't spoil your own book. Let the twists be surprises. If the only thing interesting about your story is the twist, it needs a rewrite. So how do you fix it? Well, avoid mentioning any specific story beats much past your inciting incident. You can talk vaguely about tropes later on in your book if you have to, but avoid talking about specific plot points. Spoilers often accompany pitches that are actually plot summaries. Plot summaries are boring. Now, the first 30 pages needs to hook readers so they can't put the book down. Remember, Kindle readers often get the first 30 pages or so for free. So your story needs to start off with a bang. If you can't find enough interesting material in these first 30 pages for a pitch, that's a bad sign. It's not uncommon for authors to rewrite the openings dozens of times to get that hook functioning correctly. So don't feel bad if you, as you're crafting your pitch, 
you find, man, I got to rework how the story opens so I don't have to spoil the book to make the pitch work. And it's okay. <laughs> rewriting is okay. In fact, rewriting is required. Every author does rewrites. Every book needs some editing. Uh, so let's get an example from Star Wars. Luke Skywalker receives a message from a princess who's been captured by the evil Darth Vader and runs into a mysterious Jedi Knight who offers to mentor him and help him save the princess. After running into a smuggler who agrees to offer him a ride off planet, they set off with a pair of droids and a Wookiee to save the princess and destroy the Death Star. So that pitch has taken us deep into the second act of this story. It's also breaking many of our other rules. Look how many characters we have. We have Luke Skywalker. We have the princess. We have Darth Vader. We have the Jedi Knight. We have the smuggler. We have the Wookiee. And we have two droids. <laughs> no, it's no good. So let's try again. Luke Skywalker is a farm boy on a desert planet who dreams of a life in the stars. After receiving a distress signal from a captured princess, he sets off to save the princess and learn about this mysterious power called the Force. I encourage you in the comments of this episode to jump in and, and try to write even better pitches than these. This is, can be really good practice to write pitches for well-known films. Can you pitch the film in a way that makes it sound really fun. But you'll notice in this pitch, we don't go past the inciting incident. We don't even really get to his meeting with Obi-Wan, right? This is his very first decision to do something about the message that he received. <laughs> and it's a little bit misleading because he actually denies the call, right? So Star Wars follows the hero's journey uh, template beat for beat. And we, we're not talking about how initially Luke Skywalker says no and then he has to chase the droid. We're, we're glossing over all of that, and that's okay, because ultimately he does decide to save the princess. And so that focus is what you want for a strong pitch. You're not getting into all of the nuance. You gloss over the nuance for a very focused pitch that tries to capture the most interesting element of the story. Mistake number seven is a pitch that is too strange. People want to read books that are like the books that they already like. If your book is too weird or different, readers will pass on it. The most obvious way is if it's just in the wrong shelf in the bookstore, the kind of people who are interested in your book won't even see it. And the people who are seeing it aren't interested in it. Or it may just be too strange, period. One warning sign that your book is too strange is when people tell you that the book is good, but they always mention someone else that the book would be good for. You don't want that. You want to know who your target reader is and write the kind of book that's the kind of book that they want. And when I'm saying strange here, I don't mean like, oh, sci-fi is strange or, oh, I've got aliens or, or wizards or elves. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it needs to resonate with specific people, not stereotypes of the other. There's a lot of people who like elves and dwarves in their book. That's not strange for them. So you need to fit your genre. So how do you fix it? Well, you read in your genre, read books on craft to know what tropes are and how to work them into your story. Identify the tropes that are popular with your target reader and feature one of those tropes in your pitch. Now I can hear you asking, but won't that make my book derivative? Well, that leads us to our next mistake, which is mistake number eight, too cliche. While people want to read books that are like the books they already like, those books still need to feel fresh and new. So how do you fix it? Well, the most common cause of cliche books is authors not reading enough in their genre. They think that by avoiding similar books, their books will avoid being derivative, but instead they become accidentally 
derivative, which is the worst kind of derivative. <laughs> Not reading in your genre, an attempt to be original is like driving down the road with your eyes closed in order to avoid hitting the other cars. The only way to avoid the other cars is to first see the other cars. You also want to make sure that you're not just ripping off some other book, right? So people don't want to read a book with a pitch like, when a bat brings orphan Barry Sculptor an invitation for boarding school, he finds out that his parents were magicians and that he is destined to save the world. But first, he must catch a bus at a bus stop that doesn't seem to exist. So obviously, we've taken Harry Potter and we just kind of swapped around the words, right? <laughs> In video games, this would be called an asset swap. This is derivative on purpose. Hopefully none of you are writing a book that's derivative on purpose this much, but it may be that you're hitting the exact same things that everybody else is hitting. I was at a bookstore recently and almost all of the books in the children's section were about diversity, inclusion, and equality. And it's like, man, if you're trying to write a book that's about diversity, inclusion, and equality, that's gonna be super cliche. Where are you gonna fit? <laughs> the, the, the whole children's section is already filled with books like that. There are a lot of lessons that children need to learn and a lot of those lessons, there's not a single book teaching those lessons. So you have to be resonant, but you can't be just playing the same music as everybody else because that's not resonant. That's just identical. And unfortunately, fixing problems on the too strange to too cliche spectrum often requires a rewrite. This isn't typically something that can be fixed in the pitch. If your book is a cliched story, you can't fix it in the pitch. You've got to make your book less cliche. If your book is too weird or it doesn't adhere to the genre expectations closely enough, you can't fix that in the pitch. It may be that you just need to tweak the pitch to better and more accurately describe your book. But in my experience, when I see a pitch that doesn't know who it's talking to or what it's trying to say, which often manifests itself as being too cliche or too strange, it needs at least one more round of revisions. And that's okay. It's good to revise your book. Mistake number nine is too satisfying. Sometimes I watch a movie trailer and I'm like, well, I don't need to see that movie. The trailer had everything I wanted to see. <laughs> it told the whole story. In books, this often happens with preachy stories. And if the book has a strong message, readers either already agree with the message and don't need to read the book, or they disagree with the message and don't want to read the book. <laughs> Either way, it makes people not want to read the book. This kind of pitch is actually counterproductive. It actually makes the book harder to sell. People need a reason to read your book. So how do you fix it? Well, if your book has a message, it's okay for your book to have a message. You can be overly didactic or overly preachy, but that doesn't, so you don't want to do that, but that doesn't mean that the book has no substance whatsoever. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is in the pitch, focus on the benefit of what your book teaches rather than on the message itself. So let me give you an example. So here's what not to do. In this book, you'll learn that eating less fast food and more vegetables will make you healthier. Okay, so First off, we all know that. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I don't want another sermon about eating healthy. I already agree with this. Or maybe you're like, I disagree with this. I'm going to eat fast food anyway. Either way, it doesn't make you want to read the book. So let's tweak that to make it a little bit better. In this book, you will learn simple dietary changes that you can implement to have more energy, lose weight, and feel 20 years younger. Now, feeling 20 years younger and losing weight and having more energy that may be eating more vegetables and less fast food, right? But you have to sell the benefits, right? The benefits are what's going to sell the book, not the hard steps they have to get there. 
So I guess when it comes to too satisfying, just keep the sermon out of the pitch. <laughs> I guess is what, is what I'm trying to say. All right, mistake number 10, too many genres. This is our final mistake. And I see this mistake most often with first-time authors. The pitch itself doesn't match the genre norms of any specific genre. It's not uncommon for authors to state the genre in the pitch, but then for the pitch to wander between genres. Writing a book that's a cross-genre book is like juggling while walking a tightrope. To pull it off, you need to know how to juggle, you need to know how to keep your balance on a tightrope, and you need to know how to keep your balance on a tightrope while juggling. <laughs> this is the sort of thing that you do in the culmination of your career, not at the beginning. I see a lot of authors trying to have their very first book be a cross-genre book. And it's like going straight to the tightrope, but instead of holding the, the pole to make it easier, you're juggling and you're just setting yourself up for failure. So how do you fix it? Well, read in your genre, especially the books that are popular with readers. Get to know the genre expectations of your readers so that your pitch can match those expectations. Also, read the Amazon pages. Read the pitches of the most popular books in your genres to see what they're featuring. The readers of this genre are picking those authors, so study what they're doing so you can determine why the readers are choosing them. You don't want to copy them, but you do need to fit on the same shelf. And like I said before, the only way to avoid being accidentally derivative is to be well-read. So here's an example I think illustrates this really well. The Princess Bride is a swashbuckling children's book filled with monsters, romance, political intrigue, and torture, right? So The Princess Bride, which is a classic, it flopped in theaters. And I read a whole book about The Princess Bride. And the reason it flopped in theaters was specifically because the marketing department didn't know which genre to pitch it in and which audience to pitch it to. Was it a romance? Was it an adventure? Was it a children's movie? And they didn't know how to sell it. They sold it as this hodgepodge. And people are like, I don't want to watch a hodgepodge. I don't want to go to the theater to watch a hodgepodge. And so they didn't really go see it in the theater. Now, fortunately for the film, it came out in the golden age of renting VHS tapes at the video rental storm. And so it benefited from a VHS rental boom. So the first time you saw Princess Bride was probably at home with a rental copy from Blockbuster. And the word of mouth basically helped the movie overcome its marketing failures. And what they should have done is just pick a lane, right? So let me see if I can rework it and at least make it a little bit more focused. Wesley returns home to find his beloved buttercup engaged the evil Prince Humperdinck. To save her, he must wrestle giants, match wits with geniuses, and fence swordmasters. Can he rescue Buttercup before it is too late? Okay, so that's not a great pitch, but at least it does a better job staying in its lane and picking one genre. It presents the story as an adventure, and it works as an adventure. Even if you're not interested in the romance parts of the story, it's a fun story. In fact, that's kind of part of the point of the film. For those of you who've seen Princess Bride, it, it's presented as this children's book being read to this young boy, and he doesn't want the romance bit. So every time it starts to get too romantic, they skip ahead a little bit, which is, is delightful. But you don't put that in the pitch. You let that be one of the sweet surprises of experiencing the story. My final advice for you when it comes to pitching your book and crafting a sales pitch where you're describing your book in a way that makes people want to read it is you need to believe in your book. Don't dilute your book with weasel words. Insecurity is unattractive. If you don't believe in your book, no one else will. 
And a lack of confidence in the pitch may be a sign that your book's not ready. It may need another rewrite. It may need some more work. Keep working on your craft until you have a book you can believe in. You need to believe that it is truly entertaining, educational, or a much-needed escape. The more you believe in your book, the more you will be able to sell it and the more readers you will have. If you don't believe in your book, keep working on it until you do. If you want more help with crafting your pitches and with persuading people to give you a chance, whether it's signing you for a contract or buying your book, I have a course to help. It's called The Art of Persuasion. It's bundled into many of my other courses. So if you've purchased Obscure No More Book Launch Blueprint, you already have this course. But you can also buy it on its own. It's not very expensive on its own. And persuasion is one of the most important things we do as authors. If we can't persuade someone to read our book, it doesn't matter what's in it because they can't have a chance to engage it. So this is helpful for bloggers wanting to make a difference, nonfiction authors wanting to change minds, and authors of all kinds trying to get more readers. I'd like to thank our featured patron, Derek Deppner, author of Why Authors Fail. Becoming a massively successful self-published author can be challenging. Even just one missing link in an otherwise perfect plan can kill your results. And Why Authors Fail, award-winning author Derek Deppner reveals the 17 biggest mistakes authors make that sabotage their success, along with practical steps to fix each mistake. That's, by the way, a great pitch. <laughs> so he's focusing on the benefit of reading the book, is avoiding mistakes that sabotage your career. So if you feel stuck, this book is promising to get you unstuck. If you would like to be a patron like Derek, you can become a patron at novelmarketing.com patron. And if you can't afford to become a patron, but you still want to support the show, you can. The easiest way is to just share this episode with an author who you think would find it helpful. A couple of episodes ago, I talked about how our six-month-old Jack is learning to crawl. So I talked about how he was getting up on his knees, on his hands, and wobbling back and forth, and then surging forward where he would land on his face. And he'd do it again, and he could kind of scooch forward. Well, I have an update. He's now realized that is not the way. <laughs> so he's figuring out that he needs to get his arms and legs to work in a rhythm. There's only one problem. He's now crawling backwards. <laughs> Every once in a while, we have to rescue him from getting stuck under some kind of furniture. This is very frustrating for him because there's some toy just out of his reach. He tries to crawl towards it, and the harder he works, the farther away that toy becomes. And in your career, sometimes progress means moving backwards. You may have realized while listening to this episode that your book needs another draft before it's ready. And that may feel like moving backwards, but it's actually moving you closer to success. Jack is closer to crawling now, even though he's moving backwards with his current technique, than he was with his old method of flopping forward. Crawling really does involve a specific rhythm with arms and legs. And even though he hasn't figured out what the rhythm is, the fact that he's doing a rhythm at all is a step in the right direction. The key is to celebrate your progress and to get back to work. <laughs> he is so motivated. Every morning, I bring him downstairs and I put him on the ground and he does tummy time as intensely as you could imagine until he is so tired he's ready for his morning nap because he wants to crawl so bad. So borrow the work ethic of my six-month-old and you can do it. Just do the work and you will see the results. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt. And if you'd like to read the blog post version 
of this episode and to download that worksheet to help you make a better pitch for your book, go to authormedia.com slash 329. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.